Uh, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. If you need a Bible, just let us know. We will get you one. Just raise your hand. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 3 will be in verse 15, and we'll go through chapter 4, verse 1. The word of the Lord. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So then, my dearly loved and longed-for brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, truth. Lord, we are your sons. We are your daughters. We are brothers and sisters. Uh, we are dear friends because we are in your son. We are good soil. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would be who we are today, even as we just listen to your word, that we would be good soil. We would be who we are, that we would receive your word, um, that we would submit our lives to your word, that we would find joy and rest and assurance through your word and in Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Uh, the title of today's sermon is whatever, you can take it or leave it, Hope Produces Growth, Okay. We're still in context of chapter 1, verse 27. So if you haven't been here or you're new here, we haven't lost sight of chapter 1, verse 27. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And you'll notice that, I mean, not that we have to, I mean, not that I feel like I have to prove to you that we're still in this context, but all you have to do is look at verse 20 in this section where he talks again about being citizens of heaven. It's a nice little bookends, okay? And so Paul has, since verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 27, has been laying out how those who are in the citizens of heaven are to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. He tells them to do that, but then he just doesn't leave them high and dry to go figure it out for themselves. He then tells them how to do that. And yes, I say this every week. I think I even said I say this every week last week. I'm going to say it again. This, we are citizens, and it's been said in, in different ways, shapes, and forms already this morning. Um, it, it, we are citizens, if, if you are a child of God, if you are a Christian, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. You are a citizen of heaven. You, you, you are, you're in, and so we're not trying to get in, we're not trying to fit in, we're not trying to stay in, we're, we're in. And so that, that's the beauty of having a, a good law-gospel distinction. The law is not the gospel, and the gospel is not the law. So when we do hear the law, which the law would be any commands found in Scripture, the imperatives, 
we're doing that as, as children of God already. And we do do it joyfully, and we do do it with gratitude. It is our response of gratitude. Obedience is a response of gratitude in and of itself. And man, the freedom we have in Christ to actually not go live in sin, but to actually live in obedience is, is glorious. It's such a gift of God that we now have this freedom to go do the very things um, that we, we, we want to do because we love the Lord. We have this freedom to then go love people. We have this freedom that is found in knowing that our works now, all right, our works are not for ourselves. God does not need our works. Your neighbor needs your works. Your husband needs your works. Your, your sister, your daughter, your son, your, your actual physical neighbor, all of us in this room, we need your good works. And we do these good works just out of simple gratitude for the fact that we already are citizens of the kingdom of God. And this fits perfectly in this. This, this hope produces growth because we've all been there. We're, we're, we've heard sermons um, through, you know, just the fact that you can hear sermons everywhere through podcasts and YouTube. Some of us have even said under sermons, most of us actually have, where, and, and again, it's not always the guy with the red face. I guess in Kentucky, sometimes it is the red face with the big finger yelling at you. You know, I, I had a buddy of mine tell me, he said, man, I used to go to this church where we all left and none of us thought we were saved. Neither did the pastor. He didn't even think he was saved by the time he was done preaching. Now, that's a whole, that's the whole fire and brimstone stuff. That stuff's still out there. But with good intentions, there are sermons going on across the whole world today, and especially in American context, where the pastor simply wants to see the people of God grow. He does. He has great intentions. But he takes this wrong angle, and he almost lifts up the law as, as if it's the gospel. And you leave, uh, even though he's not mad at you and waving a finger with a red face, you, you leave disappointed and discouraged. You wonder if I'm even saved. And you're reminded, even with, with a nice, gentle voice, of just how, how much you've blown it, which is fine. We've all blown it this week. I mean, we all just confessed our sins together. But, we're, but the people of God leave with no assurance. And even though intellectually they may know that they're not saved by works, when sanctification takes the forefront of the pulpit, then we kind of live in a way where we're not really sure, though. I mean, we know the right answers. We're not saved by works. But we live in a way, our, if, if you would just look at our lives, it's this, it's this attitude of just constantly being tossed to and fro of having assurance and not having assurance, doing well, and, and because I'm doing well, then I'm doing well spiritually, and because I did bad, then I'm doing bad spiritually. And it's because the focus of most of uh, the teaching across America, especially, is so focused on sanctification, which sanctification, of course, needs to be a focus, but with the foundation of justification, always put before the people of God. Uh, today's sermon is uh, be mature, be humble, be steadfast. Boom, boom, boom. Those are three application points. They're, it's telling you to do, to be. But it's not, we're not doing this to prove to God that we're saved. We're not doing this um, to prove to ourselves that we're saved. We're not doing this to prove to our coworkers that are saved. We're doing this out of gratitude. And then whatever it looks like, which we already know what it looks like, it's kind of like, we have good seasons where we're doing really good. Sometimes we have bad seasons. Sometimes we have all the seasons in one day. Sometimes we have them in one hour. 
I mean, I have a 13-year-old, and now how old are you, Bella? 11? 11. Bella has all the seasons in like five minutes lately. I mean, we're but, – but, which is fine. Thinking because of these different circumstances and seasons and emotional seasons of my life that that's the determining factor of whether or not I'm saved or even whether or not I'm growing or not. And so we have this, this instead of, uh, so the, the pastor wants the people of God to grow. And that, that is, of course, that's good. Of course he does. But here's, if, if the pastor and the elders, what they need to know is that hope is what produces the growth in their own lives and in all the people of God's life. And so hope produces growth, not fear, not manipulation, not a constant diet of get away from me, I never knew you sermons, which is what I grew up on. Again, not from an angry pastor, not a constant diet of examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith sermons. Again, it's what I grew up on. Again, good intentions. That doesn't produce growth. That, that, that produces, like, it ends up producing legalism. It can produce then the opposite of legalism, antinomianism. It can produce all things. I mean, the fear and the constant um, examining yourselves. And, man, I don't want to be the guy that says, Lord, you know, or I'm like, Lord, Lord. And he's like, get away from me. I never knew you. Well, then, then how do I not be that guy? Works. Look to your works. That way you won't be that guy. Nahushtan on that. That just means poo-poo, doo-doo. No. The, the people that Jesus, when he looks at them and he says, Lord, Lord, some of you on that day are going to say, Lord, Lord, and I'm going to say, uh, get away from me, I never knew you. The, the response that those people give is works. Didn't we, didn't we what? Cast out demons. Do all sorts of... No, Jesus is showing us in Matthew 7, if you just go back further, that it's the judgmental, it's the hypocrites, it's the false prophets, it's the false teachers. It's those that, that don't have any, they don't think they have any need of Christ. It's those that they don't think they ha need Christ's righteousness. And so instead of you coming and hearing a sermon, I'm like, man, you better buck up, make sure you're not one of those people. No, do you know that you are saved because of Christ and his finished work? then you're not going to hear, Lord, Lord, get away from me. Every single Christian is going to hear, you know what they're going to hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, yeah, your life. Look at your life and your works. That, that mess, <laughs> that thing, whatever that thing is, like when you look at it like total, that you're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's not because of that. It's because of Christ. It's because of Christ's finished works. It's because we are in Christ, the, the one who truly heard, well done, good and faithful servant. And so it's in that, that even today we come to the word of God to hear these imperatives, to hear these commands, that we realize, man, it's because I, I do have this hope, this hope of that I have been saved and that I am being saved and this hope that I will be saved. Ultimately, that I have this this hope in Christ and this hope of who I am now and that I'm not in the, the kingdom of darkness, but I'm in the kingdom of light. It's all, it's because of that, that has to be set before the people of God. That is what produces growth and it will produce growth in its own time and in its own way. And we just, we just sit back, we trust the Lord in our own lives and we, we, we trust the Lord in, in the lives of other people as we set the hope of Christ before ourselves and before the people of God. And we will not lose sight of, of this at all today. 
even though it is just like boom, boom, boom. And so Paul says, based on everything I've just said, this is Paul, all right, in chapter 3 especially, he says, be mature, all right? Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. So that last section is just him, hey, hey, he who began a good work in you, Philippians 1.6, will be faithful to complete it. He's resting in that. Think this way, and for those of you that are still figuring it out, you'll figure it out because God will figure it out, and he'll figure it out in your life because you are being sanctified. But think this way. You know, be mature by thinking the same way as Paul. And we're like, well, what way was Paul thinking? Well, in this brief section, starting in chapter 3, we see this, again, this rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Well, what, okay, cool. What does that mean? Well, that means that as a child of God, all right, worshiping by the Spirit of God in verse 3 of chapter 3, boast in Christ Jesus. That, that's rejoicing in the Lord. We already, we already know this. We've, we've, we've hammered it away. Don't put confidence in the flesh. That, Paul says, think this, this way. And then when, my goodness, when you get to the verses uh, 7 all the way up to 14, you're like, goodness gracious, that's, yeah, that's what he's wanting you to do. He's wanting you to think of this way, uh, uh, exalting in Christ and not exalting in works, considering all your works as dung, considering everything in, in light of knowing Christ is dung, putting all your chips on the table in Christ resting on the finished work of Christ. And then, of course, when you get to verse 12, this, this again, this, like, this pursuing the very thing that you have, this, again, you're not sitting on the couch because you have all you have in Christ, then you pursue Christ and you pursue the, the resurrection from the dead. Paul's saying, be mature. Think this way, verses 15 through 16. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Man, Paul is not, I mean, Paul has plenty of words to tell the people of God to do. But man, he is trusting the Lord so much in people's lives that he can in one sense be super exhortive and give commands. But remember, even in his exhortation, he's always saying brothers and sisters and dear friends. And so I think sometimes we read way too much maybe angry tone in some of his exhortations. But ultimately, he's trusting the Lord that when I think when they receive this letter, some dots are going to be dot, I's are going to be dotted, and some T's are going to be crossed. That the very things that he's wanting them to grow in, they're going to grow in by reading this letter together. And he's just like, hey, think the same way. And if you think differently, God will reveal that to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Of course, we should not live under. We should live up to what we've attained. And so be, be mature. I'm not going to go too much in this because this has been the application point basically of the last two sermons. Rejoice in the Lord. For those of you that are mature, rejoice in the Lord. And if you want to know what rejoicing in the Lord looks like, read then chapter 3. And you'll see that ultimately all of that is Paul showing them what rejoicing in the Lord is, what it looks like. What, what needs to be believed to be able to be able to rejoice in the Lord. And it ultimately comes down to boasting in Christ and not putting any confidence in the flesh. That's what it comes down to. And then he says in uh, verse 17, I have this as be humble. So we have, hey, be mature. Be, you are mature. 
Be mature. Think the same way that I'm thinking. And then be humble. Verses, verse 17. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. You can be like, how do you get be humble out of that? Because if you're not humble, you're not going to do that. If you think that you have arrived, you're not going to do this. The, at the root of even being able to do what he says here, which is just imitating himself and other godly and mature people, you have to, you have to be humble to do this. That's the foundation. And so we have to be humble learners. We have to have teachable spirits. No one has figured it out. If Paul has, and he has just recently said to us in chapter 3 that he hasn't arrived, that he's not perfect, then certainly neither are we. And so we have to be careful that we're not consumed by, by our own pride and insecurities. We have, to, we have to make sure that we're not consumed by our own suspicion of other brothers and sisters. All these things become roadblocks to being a humble learner and to having a teachable spirit and to even be disciple. You know, the focus of uh, Christianity for 50 years is be a disciple maker. How about you be discipled first? I mean, we put the cart before the horse all the time. And we even treat be a disciple maker like I can come up to you and just disciple you. Like, what's your name? Brandon, Brandon I'm going to disciple you. You're like, get away from me, bro. I don't even know you. You just, like, totally asked my name in front of everybody. And, and I, what, you're going to disciple me? I mean, and that's how it's been, it's, it, that's how it's like, uh, that, that's the whole culture that is taking shape in America. I can only speak about America because I'm from America. Maybe I can only speak about the Midwest because I'm from the Midwest. I know you guys think Kentucky's in the South, but it's not. It's the Midwest. <laughs> we have to be people that not only, of course, want to disciple other brothers and sisters, but be discipled. And again, I'm, I said it a few weeks ago, it's fascinating to see that the word disciple is not even found in the epistles. Once Acts is over, what you see is this, and I don't know what to make of it yet fully, but what you see is this language that he has right here in, in verse four or verse one of chapter four, brothers and sisters, friends. Man, you know what that does? That takes the air out of this unhealthy authority that the disciple-making thing has turned into in our culture. Where disciple-making is, hey, you come, you meet me, I'll sit down, you ask questions, and I'll answer them. I'll tell you who to marry, what job to get, what house to buy, what car to buy. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what shows you can watch, what movies you can go to. I'll tell you where you can buy your coffee, not Starbucks. I'll tell you where you can go shop, not Target. I'll, I'll do all that for you. Who, I mean, think about having that amount of authority over people's lives. I, don't, I mean, you're going to have to stand before a holy God one day. And so we then, I love it because he just takes the air out of that. And so be humble. Be humble. And in, I mean, humility is, the, is basically at the root of everything as far as like even kindness and love. But we're, I mean, we, we do need to, we've, we stress this throughout this series, we need examples. Do you? Do you know that you need examples? And, and I mean flesh on. Not, not, not the guy that lives in California that has, you know, 2.2 million followers on Twitter and preaches awesome sermons. But do you have a flesh on? Well, you do if you look around this room. 
flesh on brothers and sisters that you can look up to, would you even look up to them? Are, are you, do you, is it beneath you? Are you so suspicious of other brothers and sisters? Because maybe you've been hurt your whole life and maybe you formed this huge like uh, victim mentality. I mean, would you even let people in your life? No, Paul knows. And he's been setting this up the whole time. He, he already in this section says, imitate me. He is presenting himself as an example. He's clearly presented Christ as the ultimate example. And he's put Timothy and Epaphroditus, raised them up as examples. And now this isn't just out of nowhere. And now he's just saying, again, something that he's, he's said and something that is, is throughout Philippians up to this point is, hey, find people that you can be like. That you, that you can learn from their mistakes. People that will encourage you and people that you can encourage and iron on iron and living lives together, community. So be humble. Notice, okay? Man, this is where I could go off. See, this, what I'm about to say is why I have a timer up here, okay? All right. Notice the corporate aspect of growing here. Notice it. Sanctification is a corporate endeavor, this is, this is my favorite part maybe about this whole section. And maybe it's because I'm just on this kick lately in my own life of just realizing the beauty of the church when it comes to just together. Whether it's studying the scriptures, we do it, we do it together. We can even study scriptures with dead people because of what they've left us. We can study the scriptures with people that live on the other side of the globe because of the books they're writing. We study the scriptures together through commentaries and through theological works and through, through creeds and confessions. And we study the scriptures together in the local church as we, we actually get together and study the scriptures together, which is what we're doing right now. And we have Wednesday night study. And Anna, you have a question and you call Troy and, and you have a question and you call Painborn. And you have a question. It doesn't have to be Troy or Painborn or myself. It can be somebody else in the body. This whole together aspect, I mean, it's, it's right there for the taking. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, plural. Pay careful attention to those, plural, who live according to the example you have in us, plural. It's all, it's all, it's together. Notice, and again, don't hear me wrong, notice. Notice what he doesn't say. And make sure you get up early in the morning, read your Bible, for 15 minutes or 20 minutes before you do anything else. That is how you'll know that you're knocking it out of the park. That's how you'll know you're growing. That's how you know you really love Jesus and Jesus loves you. That's how you'll know you're going to have a good day. And if you had a bad day, it's because you didn't do that. And if you have a good day, it's because you did do that. No. Again, nothing against that. I do that. I love the Word of God. We should be reading the Word of God. We all have Bibles. We all can read. It's the Word of God. But notice what he elevates. Not alone time. Not outside of the church time. Inside of the church, body stuff, together stuff. And when I say church, I'm not necessarily meaning just gathering together on Sundays in a building, but just the church. It's, it's together. It's not Lone Ranger stuff. It's not, hey, stare at your navel until you grow in holiness. No, figure it out on yourself. No, it's together, together, together. So be humble, and it takes humility to do that. I, I dare say... 
the, at the root of every single Lone Ranger Christian or somebody who's, who's elevated their, their individual discipline practices above gathering together with the church is, is you have two things. That's the spirit of the age. Individualism is what's elevated above everything. Do you even whatever it is. You can do a lot of things because you can just do you. Things that are, that are outlandish. And it see, the spirit of the age always seeps into the church. And now you have, again, for, man, I don't even know how long now, 60, 70 years, this individual spirit that just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger in the church. And then, and then you have COVID and a lot of people can't go to church. And then the people that couldn't go to church ain't coming back to church because they could just sit in their room and in their pajamas and they can just watch online and they can take communion by themselves, which is Nahushtan. <laughs> And they, and, and they think they're doing great, and they don't need the body of Christ. And he says, no, you need people around you. You need people around you, people you can look to. And the people need you to be around them as well. All right, point three. So we have be mature, be humble. And this is in light of already being citizens of the kingdom of Christ. This is living a life worthy, not to gain, but because you have gained Christ. Be mature. And then he even says, mature is like wherever you are in life. As long as you are living up to what you know, that's what it means to be mature. All right? So we're all at different levels. But we can all have a foundation in being mature, and that is rejoicing in the Lord. Be humble. Okay, what does that look like? It looks like really I mean, giving your lives to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. They need your life. They need your works. They need your service. They need your money. They need your strong back. They need your mind. They need your gifts. They need your prayers. They, they need you. They need you. Be steadfast. Notice verse 1 of chapter 4. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown. Man, he loves these people. In this manner, stand firm in the Lord. Stay at it. What manner? Everything that he's been saying. Stand firm in unity. Stand firm in humility. Stand firm in love. Stand firm in looking out for the interests of others. Stand firm in rejoicing in the Lord. Stand firm in righteousness that comes through God alone and Christ alone. Stand firm in faith alone. Stand firm in grace alone. Stand firm in Christ alone. Stand firm in pursuing the prize promised by God, the resurrection from the dead. Stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ, ultimately. And stand firm together together for the gospel. <laughs> stand firm, but this isn't a call to go stand firm in a corner by yourself. Stand firm in all these things, which it seems like a lot, and it is a lot, but it's like stand firm in who Christ is and all he's done, and do that with other people. Well, what, I mean, you want to be a rebel? We all have this thing where I was like, I want to be a rebel, and I want to be like the, the odd bird in the corner. And now we're finding out, like, I want to be the person that sticks out. We're all finding out that it's actually these things that we thought were, like, mundane because we think mundaneness is bad. Those are the things now that make us look like a bunch of odd birds and a bunch of rebels. Like what? Getting married and having kids? That's crazy. <laughs> what a witness to this world. 
What a witness. Gathering together? Like you actually think gathering together with the people of God is greater than alone time? Yeah, I do. I know it to be true. That's crazy. It's, it's these things that we just, we just have, we thought we took for granted. And, and now it's all these simple truths that are declared in the scripture that now we are in, incredibly in our culture right now sticking out like sore thumbs. Praise the Lord for the opportunity to be salt and light just by putting one foot in front of the other. Just by obeying out of gratitude the simple commands of God because we love him. We don't have to do like the radical Christianity. Now, who stand on that? We, radical Christian, Christianity is radical. We don't have to go make it radical. We love God and we love others. It's, it's ordinary, but beautifully so. But notice, all of this, all right? He does it, so I'm going to do it. So I did rearrange the, the verses a little bit, all right, to make this flow better for a sermon. Be mature, be humble, be steadfast, but man, it all. So it's like, okay, cool, go do those things, but remember the title, Hope Produces Growth. Now, I didn't pull that out of thin air. It's, it's right here for the taking in verses 18 through 21. He says, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us, for, because... I have often told you, and I now say again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. I believe he's talking about these Judaizers. Now, there's a lot of commentators that don't, but I think they're wrong. There are commentators that agree with me. Praise the Lord for that. And when he once he says enemies of the cross, I think he's clearly talking about the Judaizers. I think some of these other things that look like he's talking about licentious living, I think, are just play on words because it makes no sense that all of a sudden these licentious people, living people, come in and then they just go away. He's not even talked about them. They come and they go and he's never mentioned them again. I think this is in context to watch out for the dogs in verse 2 of chapter 3. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. And he says with tears, you know why he says with tears? Because these are his people. These are the Jews. He loves the Jews. He loves his fellow brothers and sisters of the flesh. And he says... Man, man, like, make sure you grab a hold of godly people and imitate them. You need to imitate them, and as you grow, they need to imitate you. You know why? Because there is a bunch of people out there that are, that are enemies of the cross. And, and you may think that you're not easily influenced. If you're a human being, you are easily influenced. Now, some others may be more easily influenced than you or you may be influenced less or more, but we're all easily influenced when it comes down to it. So you need good people in your life because there are a bunch of people out there that are enemies of the cross and they're focused on earthly things. So all these stuff, though, gets grounded right here. Here's the key. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We eagerly await for a Savior from there. Who's the Savior? The Lord Jesus Christ. What will he do? He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. There's the hope, Christ. 
Why be mature, Christ? Why be humble, Christ? Why have joy, Christ? Unity, Christ? Why be steadfast, Christ? Why love, again, others more than myself, Christ? Now, we're not just throwing this. This is not something that we're just throwing, and it's just like the cure-all. No, what do we mean when we say Christ? What did he do? Who is he? What did he do? What did, did he accomplish anything? What, what's he going to do? Did he just do stuff, and now he's not doing anything? And what, is he going to do something in the future? And so it's all Christ. Because we know Christ came for us lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, lived the life we should have lived, died the death we were supposed to die. And then by believing in him, we get his perfect righteousness and accredited to us, and then we get forgiveness of sins? That's incredible. Wait, what? I'm now what? I'm also been adopted. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. God is no longer my judge. He's my father. Wait, what did you say? He's coming, he's coming back? Yeah, he's coming back. He's going to transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body. He's coming back to make everything, everything new. Our hope is a real and living hope because Christ is real and living. And our hope is so sure. We have this, again, we have this sure hope, this living hope that it can do nothing as we contemplate. It, it can do nothing but produce growth in us. Because, because we're eagerly waiting for a Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice the imperatives grounded once again in the indicatives. The commands of God grounded in who God is and what he's done. Then we go do the things. So if you've been raised with Christ, we read this last week, they were focused, these enemies of the cross were focused on earthly things. Paul says in Colossians, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, which is what he's doing here. Our citizenship is where? It's in heaven, where we eagerly await for a savior from there. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life, it's not, again, it's not when Christ who could be your life if you make him your life, if you have a bunch of good works and really like live this radical Christian life and everybody can see that Christ is your life. No, no, no. Christian, Christ is your life. When he appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That's basically in a nutshell what he's saying here. This, and this is what produces all the growth that Paul wants for them and all the growth that the Lord wants for us is this sure hope. Now, you would think if that's, I mean, that's a statement. Hope produces growth. Is that just here? No. Listen to this. Okay, hold on. Okay, this is where we're going to, now we're at a Bible study. Ready? 1 John 3, 1 through 3. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children? And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope does what? Nothing? Sins more so grace can abound more? No. 
Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Hope produces growth. 2 Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So these verses right here are usually to scare the living tar out of Christians. But no, this is assurance. This is hope. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. Do you want the Lord to come back? Yes. Yes. And so he's saying that that hope produces holy conduct. Hope produces growth. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. Hope produces growth. Romans 5, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. Notice, like, this stuff is done, all right? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith in his grace in which we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we boast in our afflictions we bo- because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. Proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. Hope produces growth. Romans 13. Since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep. Because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is near. So let us discard the deeds of the darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desire. Why? Because the day is near. The Lord is at hand. And, that, and we want, that's awesome for us. It's only not awesome for us if we have grown up on this unhealthy diet of, Lord, Lord, get away from me. Or, Lord, Lord, and he's like, I get away from me, I never knew you. No, this day, we're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. He's coming back to make everything beautiful, everything good, everything, everything. And, it, and it's not out of fear that we're like, oh, he, he could come back. I don't want to be found sinning when I die. Or I don't want to, the last thing I do is F you and then have a heart attack. Or I don't want to be F-bombing some person that's driving by me and cut me off. And then the Lord returns and then will I even go to heaven? No, stop. We don't think that way. We're good. And so we can't wait for the Lord to return. 1 Corinthians 15 For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility. He talks about that here in um, Philippians today. And this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. This is so beautiful. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory. Where death is your sting. 
The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, yeah, therefore, in light of that, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This isn't, we're in, we're locked in. We're, we have victory through Jesus Christ. Now go do the things, free to do the things. Let us not get tired of doing good for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially listen to that. One more. At the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you. You yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark. For this day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. Hope. It's the hope. We, we put the cart before the horse. We think we can have hope if we do all these things. We think we can have security and assurance if I knock all these works out of the park. No, you will never have that. You put the cart before the horse. We have assurance. We have security. We have hope. The hope and the assurance and the security and the rest and the trust produces the good works, not the other way around. The other way around is ultimately it's a false gospel. But it's our default mode of operation. Even for believers. Hope in Christ produces growth. You guys can come up. You have to. Otherwise, this is going to be an hour-long sermon. <laughs> hope in Christ produces growth. Hope in Christ produces love. So when, I, when I'm about ready to say this is all in context from chapter 3 on. Chapter 2 on. Hope in Christ produces growth. Hope in Christ produces love. Hope in Christ produces unity. Hope in Christ produces joy. Hope in Christ produces maturity. Hope in Christ produces humility. Hope in Christ produces steadfastness. And we have this hope because we are citizens of the kingdom of God. We have this hope because our Savior, Jesus Christ, is coming back again to make everything right, new, and beautiful. For the God of all grace who called you to this, his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be glory forever. Amen. Hope produces growth. Be mature. Be humble. This is be steadfast. You could back it up, be loving, be unified, rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition, the body of death, into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. That's why. That's why. Not to get saved, not to be saved, not to stay saved, not to keep being saved, not to prove that you're saved. None of that. Throw it all out. Rest in Christ. 
Hope produces growth. Therefore, let us fix our eyes on Christ in eternal things, not the temporal things. Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's all we need to start putting and to continue to just put one step in front of another, pick ourselves up when we fail, cut each other slack, be forgiving, receive forgiveness, be merciful, receive mercy, be gracious, receive grace from God and from others. And remember, we are not doing this by ourselves. People that think they are doing well by themselves are delusional. They're not. I'm talking about Christians. We do this together as brothers and sisters and as dear friends. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We love you because you first loved us. And today we just get to get again reminded, man, of your love, of your power. You subject everything to yourself. The fact that you have saved us and you will save us and you are currently saving us now. Saved from the penalty of sin, saved from right now being saved from the uh, power of sin, and Lord, one day to be saved from the very presence of sin. Praise the Lord. That's what we need, Lord. All the other things we know we need to do when we think about how we should treat people and, and sacrifice our resources, our time, and whatever, Lord, all those things are just, Lord, help us to just, we know, we know that we're not saved by those. We know we're not kept by saved, and we know we're not condemned when we fail at those things. And yet, Lord, we constantly, constantly fall back into believing these lies. Help us today, Lord, to distrust in you alone. Help us to rest in the fact that we are sons and daughters of the King Most High. There is no condemnation, Lord, for us. It frees us up, Lord, to be right, to be holy, to be good, to do good things because of everything that you've done, because of the finished work of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.